John chapter number one. I pray that you've been with us on this journey through the book. If you haven't, as I mentioned last week, we do have all of the sermons are on our website, and it's very well done. And um, you can watch the sermons to kind of get caught up. But we're, we're going verse by verse um, through the book uh, to discover what God's heart is for us. And uh, to know what God's heart is for us, we have to know what God's heart was for the people who he wrote, to whom he wrote. Because he doesn't, the message doesn't change. God's original purpose and meaning in writing the message um, thousands of years ago is it's the truths that we get to benefit from are, are the same. He's not changing for us today. We can't open up God's word and say, oh, look, I discovered something new just for us because that's not true. Um, the very scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. So if you found something new, you probably didn't find anything new, right? Um, so we're going to discover this morning a little bit further into this book on um, John encouraging, challenging, uh, uplifting this group of believers, and, um, and also possibly and likely some unbelievers in the crowd as well. One of the consistent themes in 1 John and one of the great needs in America today is the examination of authentic Christianity. While most Americans, uh, 70 plus percent, and some polls say 80 plus percent, but most Americans would claim to be Christians, very few of those people would be able to define biblically what that looks like or what that means. A matter of fact, if you were to go and knock on the doors in Hollister, you would probably get a lot of people who would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And if you were to ask them, well, can you define that for me? Can you tell me, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, very few would be able to give you a, a, an accurate a biblical perspective of what it is. A matter of fact, the reality of it is you would probably get some definitions that are clear over here to the left you would probably get some definitions that are clear over here to the right and, uh, and all the other ones that are in between, right? Because uh, very few people are able to define, matter of fact, possibly in our midst today, we could find somebody to define Christianity well over here and someone to define it well over here. So we have a, we have a, a misunderstanding of what Christianity is and what Christianity looks like. And this is no small thing because this, our understanding of what Christianity is, is definitive of where we will spend eternity. It's not a small thing. It's not a, a minor thing. It's not an insignificant thing. What we believe about Jesus is what defines who we are and what defines where we're going to spend eternity. So this is a big thing, an important thing. The reason for all of the confusion about what Christianity really is is that over the last 50 years, the devil has sought to deconstruct the meaning of words and terms. Amen? And we see this in marriage in our culture today. How that the meaning of marriage, the definition of marriage has been undermined and changed. So people look at marriage and they no longer look at marriage from a biblical perspective, but now they look at marriage from a, a worldly perspective, right? The, the devil has sought to redefine this term. So now when we read the term in God's word, we think of something completely different than what God meant for the term to me. Christianity is no different. We see this having happened to marriage. We see this happening to gender. We see this happening to families. The idea of the family is not the biblical concept of the family, is it? When we hear the word family... We think of something, the world thinks of something completely different than what God thought of that God considered when he wrote his word. So it's, it's really important that we get these definitions right, that we know what it looks like, that we know what Christianity is, so that we can then define whether or not that's where we are or that's not where we are. We can do something about it. You know, we can live our lives with our heads in the sand, Right? And wake up one day and realize that we had our heads in the sand all of our lives, spiritually. Or we can open up our eyes and see what God's word says and do something about it. Or uh, perhaps a better way of saying that is seek 
the Lord to do something about it. When we discover our spiritual condition by looking into God's word and watching him unpack our lives, there's really nothing we can do about it. We would love to think there was. We would love to think, okay, I've got all these problems. God has just shown me all these issues, so now I can do this, this, and this, and everything is fine. The problem with that is is that's also not in the Bible. What, What we know is this, that God is going to shine a light on who we are so that we will come to him, not changing ourselves, but coming to him seeking the change that only he can perform. Do you know who gets the glory at the end of the day when God changes us? Do you know who gets the glory at the end of the day when we change ourselves? You know. We all know, don't we? That being said, for many, for many Christianity is an easy broad road that protects them from danger and gets us many blessings. Amen? A lot of people view Christianity that way. Oh, I don't have to go to hell anymore, so that's a great part of Christianity, and I get to go to heaven, so it's, the, it's about the blessings that I get, and it's about the protection that I get. And it's an easy, broad road. Unfortunately, the Bible teaches the opposite of what true Christianity is. The Bible teaches that true Christianity is a narrow road. The implications in Matthew is that it's a restrained road. It's a difficult path. And it deals with your sins. It's not just a protection from hell, but it's a a literal dealing with our sins. You see, sometimes we can think about the product of being set free from hell without thinking of the cross that dealt with our sins and caused us to be set free from hell. You see, being set free from hell is a benefit from the cross of Jesus Christ where he bore our sins in his own body. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7 and verse 13, enter at the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter therein are many. But the gate is narrow. And the way is difficult or hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You may ask, why does this matter? Why is this important? John teaches us in, the, in, the, in this book, and we'll see it unpacked over the next several weeks because he, it's really a consistent theme. John teaches us that, that the importance of knowing what authentic Christianity looks like will protect us from false teachers. We all need to be protected from false teachers, don't we? John tells us that in those days, in the first part of the church, that there were many false teachers throughout the whole world. We're 2,000 years removed from that, so might we assume that there are many more false teachers in our world today? And that the false teachers that are in our world today, that are many, have found a way to mimic true Christianity in such a way that the ones who are walking in the light, if it were possible, could be swayed into those false teachings? The Lord says that the false teachers will be so persuasive that if it were possible in the last days that they would they would even lead away the elect do you know what i'm thankful for that if it were possible part of the text because it's not it's not possible for a true believer to be led away by false teaching but john teaches us that Understanding what true, authentic Christianity is will protect us from false teachers, number one, and very important. Number two, it will expose counterfeit faith. It exposes faith that's not real. And we all need to know whether or not our faith is real, don't we? Matter of fact, everyone in here should think about, is my faith real? Now, I know we're, we're a fairly self-sufficient culture, Amen. We're a, I'm just going to say it, we're a fairly proud culture, right? So most of us would be pretty proud of who we are, and we would think this is just something that's kind of a solid thing. 
And we don't think and consider and look into God's word to see, is my faith the faith of scripture? Is my faith the faith that God presented to us in Jesus Christ? Is my belief system the same as what God's word taught? Unfortunately, for many, they don't really care. As long as they can go to the church and have an emotional time, as long as they can go to church and feel good, um, the church that I came from the, back in Nebraska, and say this and take it how you will, but when they left church, they said, Pastor John, you didn't seek to make us feel good. And I thought, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> they say they don't feel good when they leave church. I'm like, I don't know what that means. But I do, I think I do understand what that means because the church is not there to make us feel good. Yes, we will have an experience when Christ comes and we, we, we dwell in his presence. We will enjoy him. We will know him. We will walk closely to him. And, and it will be ex, an experience, but, but that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is that we be taught, we be, Ephesians 4, that we be trained, that we be uh, equipped to do what? To serve God, to know God. So it exposes counterfeit faith. And number three, it stabilizes those who are true believers. It distinguishes, it defines, it separates, if you will, the, wheats from, the wheat from the tares. Right? It separates the wheat from the tares by knowing what authentic Christianity looks like. Remember these things. In Scripture, the Lord tells us this. In Romans 16, 17, he tells us to mark those who teach a doctrine different from what we have taught and avoid them. He tells us in Galatians 1 to cast judgment on anyone who teaches the gospel other than the one that they had taught. In Matthew 17, or Matthew 7, he says to beware of those who teach any other doctrine, to beware of false teachers who come to them in sheep's clothing. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And then in 2 Peter 1.10, he tells us to be sure, to make sure, to confirm your calling and election. In other words, to make sure of your salvation. Now, I say all of those things to say this. It's impossible to do any of those things if you don't know what the authentic thing looks like. It's impossible to identify a false teacher if you don't know what a false teacher teaches. It's impossible to know true, authentic faith from false faith if you don't know what true, authentic faith looks like, right? Where do we know what true, authentic faith looks like? We must go to the source, which is God's word. How can we know? And it's important that we do know. In many ways, authentic Christianity is like authenticating currency or a diamond. To the untrained eye, unaided by proper tools, a counterfeit could easily be passed off as the real thing. Anybody in here ever got stuck with a counterfeit? No one? Okay, good. I'm glad I've got a few in here. And the rest of us weren't willing to raise our hand anyway, right? It's not fun to get stuck with a counterfeit, right? It's not good. And most of us, most of us do not have the ability um, with our natural eye to look in to see whether or not it's counterfeit. It was interesting as I was studying the, the authentication of diamonds this week, one of the things that authenticates a diamond is that a, a fake diamond is, is perfect in every way. While an authentic diamond has flaws. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I think we can learn some spiritual lessons from that, can't we? A counterfeit can easily be passed off as the real thing to an untrained eye. Now, while no one, whether currency or diamonds or whatever, wants to be deceived financially, the greater deception is not the financial deception. The greater deception is the spiritual deception. Might I suggest to you this morning that Satan is more worried about you being deceived spiritually than he is about you being deceived financially. James tells us in James chapter number one, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. That's the type of deception that's serious. 
That's the type of deception that is eternal. With this in mind, there are several steps and tools for authenticating currency, authenticating diamonds, and authenticating faith or Christianity. One of the ways that you authenticate a diamond, um, one of the most effective ways is what's called the light test. And you test the diamond based upon the diamond, how the diamond responds to the light. This is what this passage of scripture teaches us about. The diamond, the test that, that um, authenticates a diamond is very similar to the test that authenticates a Christian. In other words, a authentic diamond is going to have a certain response when the light is put on it. And a, and a counterfeit diamond is going to have the opposite response when the light is put on it. Matter of fact, it's another interesting thing as I was studying this. The responses that a fake diamond have, when I read them, I thought those are the responses that a real diamond would have. It was, I was like, whoa. One of them was when you shine a light on a real diamond, you don't get this array of colors. You get gray, grayish colors. I'm thinking, oh, well, if I'm looking for a real diamond, I want the, I want the rainbow, Right? The things that we think authenticate a diamond actually authenticate it as being a fake. I think sometimes it's the same way with Christianity. The things that we think authenticate Christians don't. It's other things. This is what this text is about. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to look at about four or five things for the remainder of our time try to unpack the text to you. And what I, what I want us to see this morning is the very, first, um, the very first phase of John's writing on what does a Christian look like? What does a real Christian look like? And you can mark these things down and you can remember if I see a false teacher, this is what, this is things that are gonna be, this is what's gonna be about that false teacher. And I'm gonna look at my own life and I'm going to see how do I respond to the light Follow along with me in, in, your, in your Bibles, if you would. In 1 John 1, beginning in verse number 5, the Bible says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now what we see in this portion of scripture is, is that the Lord is going to shine a light on these people. He's going to, he's going to manifest himself to them. And, and in doing so, he's going to expose, he's going to, to, to show certain things about them. He's going to reveal certain things about them by shining his light on them. And some it will be an authenticating process, and some it will be a very uh, a process that will be a process that, that shows them as being fake. Their, their faith is not real. And for some, there'll be conversion that will take place, and for others, there'll be um, frustration and, 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 and anger. And there's a lot of different responses to, uh, to the Lord when this, when this light shines on them. But the purpose of the light is to authenticate our faith. It's to show who, what Christians look like to confirm that these people are in the faith. And hopefully, by the grace of God, it will confirm your walk with him and also encourage you into a greater walk with him. So let's look at these things together. Number one is the promise of the light You'll notice in verse number five, he says, this is the message that we had heard from him and proclaimed to you. 
The word, the word here that's translated message in the New Testament is, is, is means announcement, message, or promise. It's translated 53 times in the New Testament, and 52 of those times it's translated the word promise. In this text, it's the only place that the word message is used to describe this Greek word other than promise. So I believe that we would not be far off, we would not be stretching to say or read this text in this way. This is the promise that we have heard from him. This is the promise that we have heard from him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What what John is saying right off the bat is that what I'm about to write to you is sure. It's, it's absolute. It's not, it's not up for question. It's not up for debate. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no reason to challenge it. What you're about to hear is absolute. It's, it's a promise. It, it is sure. And, and remember, in, in the midst, for this, these people, in the midst of perhaps a lot of insecurity, in the midst of perhaps a lot of doubt about what, are we believing right, are they believing right, in, in the midst of all of this, there's this sure voice there's a sure word, and this sure word comes, we know where it comes from today. If we want a sure word, if we want to know if something is true, if we want to know if something is accurate, where do we go to find that out? We go directly to the word of God, don't we? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number four, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any, than any two-edged sword. And it divides, and it, and it discerns, and it detects the word of God is our, is our sure source that, that we can go to and know that the, the promises that are there, the, the blessings that are there, the messages that are there, they are, they are true, they are accurate, and they define who we are, and they define what true reality is. If we can think of the remainder of the book, we can think of the whole book, but it is, a, it is a, an absolute promise from God. This is the way things are. Some of us would like to look at the text that we're about to read and to discover and unpack and say, well, I would like to think that that's not completely accurate. Well, here's what John says right off the bat. Get that out of your thinking. This is God's absolute word. It doesn't, listen, when we're dealing with God's absolute word, the reality of it is, is this, okay? You know this as well as I do. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what God says. And at the end of the day, what God says is truth. It is reality. It is, it is promise. I think sometimes we want to change the future. We read the book of Revelation and we think, you know something, I think I could probably change that. No, we can't. It's truth. It's reality. It's promise. It's God's word, it's prophecy. It will come true. I remember MacArthur said this, and I think I quoted it here already once, but he said, we spend so much of our time preparing people, we, we spend so much of our time making the Titanic comfortable instead of getting people into the lifeboats. Did you know that thousands of years ago, God told us what the end of the world was gonna look like? Yet we spend the majority of our lives trying to make it comfortable for the lost instead of getting them into the lifeboats. Do you know what we need? We need to be gospel people. We need to be people that understand the end times and understand what's going to happen. There is no question at all. You say, well, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to change God's plan. No, I'm not. What can I do to affect this world? I know what the end looks like. What I can do is I can preach the gospel, get people into the lifeboat so that when the world does collapse, when the Titanic does go down, they will be in Christ just like they would be in those lifeboats. These are promises from God. We need to be in his word so that we can hear what his word says. In reality, folks, it doesn't even matter what I say. It doesn't matter what the other elders of this church says. It matters what God says. First, 2 Corinthians 120 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That it is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen. 1 John 3, 19 through 20 says, By this we shall know that we all, that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. And may I, pray, may I say that God's word is greater than our hearts as well? The promise of the light is going to come, it is going to shine on our lives and it is always going to be true and accurate whatever it says. Number two, the person of the light. We have the promise of the light. Number two, we have the person of the light. Who is this light? Is it like the lights that are in here? The Bible says that God is light. In other words, the light that's going to shine into our lives, the light that's going to shine on us is, a, is, is God. It is the very essence and the presence of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2 talks about the light shining through the, in the face of Jesus Christ. We think about when Moses saw the, the hinder parts of God, right? The Bible says that his face was shining in such a way that he had to wear a veil over his face because the people could not hinder, handle, excuse me, <laughs> could not handle the glow of, his, of, his, of the glory that was on his face. Now imagine for a moment, not that we see Moses with the glow of God on his face, but that we stand in the very light of God. We stand in the very light. Matter of fact, when Moses asked to see the full glory of God, do you remember what God's response to, to him was? If I let you see my glory, you will, you will die. To stand in the full glory of God. Yet, the scriptures teach us here that the light that's going to shine in the life of, of us, the light that's going to shine in our life, is going to be the light of God. He goes on to say this, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now this is interesting and important. The word literally means dimness or obscurity, right? There are lights that you can hide in, right? There are lights that you can hide in. They can be dim enough and they can allow you places to hide. There are lights that you can't hide in. What the scripture says is, is that when the light of the glory of God shines into our lives, there will be no place for hiding. In other words, there's no shadows. You've, you've heard the cliche, hiding in the shadows? No shadows. Because the light that is going to shine, that is going to shine on these people, the light that's going to shine on this, these, this church, these false teachers, the light that's going to shine on them is the light of the glory of God. One reason why in this scripture we have a denial of Jesus Christ's humanity, this is one of the big themes of this text, this is one of the big flaws in this text, not flaws in the text, but one of the big errors that's being taught against in the text, right? Is that Jesus Christ was not fully man. Do you know why that is? Because listen, if Jesus Christ is fully man, then you have a standard that you cannot attain. If we can take Jesus' humanity away from him, we can eliminate our responsibility before him. He was 100% man, and he committed zero sins. Right? The Bible says in, in Hebrews 4 that he was tested in all the ways, just like we are. Is that the end of the verse? Yet... Without sin. He is the perfect light. He is the perfect light that's going to shine on all of the world. Matter of fact, 1 John, or not 1 John, John 1 tells us that. That he is the light that shines to all men. Every man that comes into this world is going to have the light of the glory of God shine on them. Now listen, we think that is the gospel but 
Perhaps it's not. He is the pure light by which all the world is going to be judged. And he is the powerful light by which all of darkness will be eliminated and destroyed. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. John 9 and verse 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus did not leave us without a light, did he? The Bible says that when he left, he sent us his Holy Spirit and he gave us his word. We still have the light. Perfect and pure in every way. The person of the light. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. Number three, the purpose of the light. What is the purpose of the light? Okay? The purpose of the light is threefold. Number one, it is to expose. The light is meant to expose. If you go, to, if you go with me to John 3, and don't, don't turn there because of time, I'm just going to read it to you. John 3, verse 19 through 21, the Bible says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does not, whoever does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest their works should be exposed. The purpose of the light is to expose us. It is to make clear who we are. It is to make clear what our motives are. It's to make clear what truth is. It's to, to make all of these things clear. It's to make clear what faith looks like. The, the purpose of the light is to expose where we are at. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 13 and 14, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that exposes or makes visible is the light. The light is meant to make visible that which is hidden. Proverbs tells us that Proverbs tells us that rebellion is bound up where? Rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod will do what? The Bible says the rod will drive it far from them. In other words, rebellion is hidden in the heart of a child, and discipline brings it. That's right. You see, the, the law in the Old Testament wasn't meant to deal with our sins. It was meant to bring them to the surface. Romans actually says when the law came in, sin began to do what? Abound more. It says when the law wasn't in place, sin was dead. But when, when, when mom said, you can't do that, sin was alive. The light is meant to expose us, to show us who we are in our sins. The light is meant to penetrate the darkness. John 1 and verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness, darkness does not overcome it. The darkness cannot resist the light. The light is more powerful. The light, the true light, not your light, not my light, but the true light is more powerful than darkness. What do we need to overcome the devil? It's not that we need to, we have these, these movements out there that tell us to resist, to, to, to uh, speak against the devil and to do these different things. We don't have the power to overcome the devil, but Christ does. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's not talking about you, it's talking about Christ in you. The devil is not overcome by our strength. He was overcome by Christ in the cross. He is now overcome by the Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? The Bible says that when the angel of the Lord wrestled with the devil, with the, the angel of the, the, the devil, he says, um, he did not even bring a railing accusation against him, but said, in the name of the Lord. In other words, he understood, the angel understood that he didn't have the, the power and the authority in himself, but the Lord does. And then lastly, destroy. The light is meant to destroy, to break through the darkness. First John 3 and 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. 
It's the purpose of the light. God shines his light on us so that we can see who we are. Number four, this gets to the root of the text, the product of the light. The issue is, and I wanted to give all of those to give you a a picture of what's being said here, but the issue in this text is very simple. How do we respond when the light shines on us? How do we respond when the light shines on our lives? Because that's the That's the defining moment for our Christianity. That's what shows who we are or who we're not. That's what displays the counterfeits and displays the, the real, the authentic. When God shines his light on you, how do you respond? Remember, this text is not dealing with this salvific response to the gospel, okay? It's true about the gospel, but it's not dealing with a salvific response to the gospel. This text is dealing with how you respond to the light of Christ every day of your life. You see, Christianity is not a decision that you made when you were five years old. Christianity is a life that you live every single day. John MacArthur, when he was teaching through the book of 1 John, said this, you will not find in regards to the definition of a true Christian, you will never find John used a past tense term to describe a Christian. Every time he says, what's a Christian look like? He says, look at what they're living like today. You see, Christianity is not something that happened to you yesterday. Christianity is not something that happened to you 10 years ago. Christianity is your life. It's it's who you are. It's not what you do. Very quickly. How do the unbelievers respond to the light? Okay, here's the here's this is this is where the rubber meets the road. The light has shined on my life. It's exposed my sin. It's exposed my false theology, my wrong understanding of the Bible. The light has shined on me and said, hey, John, you're wrong. Ooh, mm, how does that sit with you? Right? So the light has shined on me. Now, here's what defines me. How do I respond to it? Watch what happens here. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, the first response by an unbeliever, remember this first of all, this unbeliever claims to be a, he says that I am in fellowship with God. So so don't think that just because I claim to be a Christian, it makes me one. He says that I'm in fellowship with God, but I walk in darkness. Darkness. So in other words, the light has shone on me. The light has shined on my sin and, and I have denied the light. I have refused the light and I have continued to walk in, in darkness. Whatever the light says to me, I refuse to accept what it says to me. The Bible tells us in Matthew 13 about the four different types of soils. The first soil is really, really hard, Right? And the, and, the, and the seed of the gospel falls onto that soil and immediately what happens? The devil comes and takes it away. And the issue is, is the hardness of the heart onto which the soil falls, onto which the seed falls. The soil is not ready to receive the seed. They deny the light. They refuse the light. John 3, again, I read it to you earlier. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. But people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light that his deeds should be exposed. Denial, refusal to walk in the light, refusal to accept what the light says. Number two is deception. He says down in verse number eight, he says, if we, let's see here, verse number eight, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, the light shines on us and the first thing that the light wants to expose about us, it's not that you 
sinned yesterday or today, the first thing that the light wants to show you is that you are a, you are a sinner at the core. At the core of who you are is sin. You are a sinner. So the first thing that the light shines us and says you are a sinner, the unbeliever's response is, I'm not a sinner. Right? The unbeliever says, I'm a pretty good person. Matthew 7 tells us that. There are people who will say to the Lord, will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this in your name and done that in your name and performed many miracles in your name? In other words, what they're saying is, I'm really not that bad of a person. Look at all of the things that I've done for you, Lord. And the Lord says this to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Pretty serious, isn't it? But they had done so much for the Lord. They had worked so hard for the Lord, yet they were deceived into believing that what they did was going to merit them God's favor. So the Lord's light shines on my life and says, John Prettyman, you are a sinner. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You forgot, Lord, I went to church last Sunday. Come on now. I put some money in the offering plate and I read my Bible three times this week. You know what? Those things are great. Amen. Amen to every one of those things. But listen to me. None of those things makes you a believer. It's when God says to you, you're wrong. He shines that light on you. It penetrates your dark world. And for each one of us, it's different. My circumstances are different than your circumstances, but God shines on my circumstances and says, John, you're wrong. Walk this direction. And I say, no, Lord, I'm right. Because I did this, this, and this. I tell you something, folks. Most, most false converts focus so much on what they have done for the Lord and very little on what the Lord has done for them. I, I used to illustrate it this way. A true believer's life is like this. And you know what a true believer focuses on? A true believer focuses on how many times he fell. You know why that is? Because we don't focus on the norm, do we? We focus on the exciting things in our life, the things that are different. So a true believer's life is consistent, closer to the Lord, and then they fail. An unbeliever's life is this. Do you know what an unbeliever focuses on all the time? They always focus on, look what I did. You see, the believer says, look what I did. And the unbeliever says, look what I did. How do we respond to the light? I'm not, I'm not a sinner, Lord. I'm a pretty good person. James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And then Matthew 6.22 and 23 says, the eye, of the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And get this last part of this verse. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, this is what the Lord is saying. If you have learned in life how to walk through life in darkness as if you were in the light, you are in greater darkness. Anybody have night vision? Anybody have, can get up in the middle of the night and walk through their house as if it were light? Anybody? Come on. I get night vision. I lay there in the bed and it's like pitch black and then, you know, 10 minutes later I can, I can maneuver my way through. The, the Bible says that's the greatest danger. That's the greatest danger. Because people have figured out how to walk through life with the light of the glory of God shining and they figured out how to manipulate their way through it living in darkness. It's a serious thing, isn't it? The last thing is dishonor. He says at the very end of the verse, he says, if we say that we have not sinned in verse number 10, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is a pretty significant one because, because God's word says that we've all what? For God says in Romans 6.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you say that you have not sinned, you are calling God a... Mm. We don't even need to go there, do we? The last one is dishonor God. We dishonor God. This is an unbeliever's response to God's light. Now, what's the believer's response? Let's go back up in our text. 
The Bible says, if we walk in the light, the first response of a believer to the light is to stay. Mark that down. It's to continue. It's to dwell. When the light shines on a believer, even though it's exposing their sin, they're capable of staying there. Remember what the Bible says in James 1? It talks about the, I'm going to turn there because I don't want to mess this up. You want to join me? You're welcome to. James 1. Bible tells us in James 1, 22, it says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face into a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets that what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, the, the light of Christ, and he perseveres, he stays there. And I love the way that, I love that it uses the word persevere, right? Because when we see ourselves for who we are, it's not easy to stay in that light, is it? But he says, but those who are true believers, when that light shines on them and says, John, you're wrong, that I stay there, I stand firm in the presence of God's light based upon what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I can stay there, not because I am good enough, not because I am righteous, not because I am perfect, but because Jesus Christ has satisfied the wrath of God towards me so I can stand in his presence and I can be changed. I can be altered by God's grace. We cannot be altered by God's grace lest we stand in the light of his glory. The Bible says in John 3, 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen that their works have been done in God. When we come into the light as believers, we show forth what God has done in our lives. We're able to stand. Number two, Verse number nine, sandwiched in between two people that say, I'm not a sinner and I've never sinned, is this. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second response of a true believer to God shining his light on them is, yes, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. This word in the Greek literally means to agree or to say the same thing. In other words, God says something about you and you simply say the same thing about you. This is the hardest thing in, a, in the world to do. That's why it takes God to do it through you. Amen? Confessing, acknowledging, admitting, agreeing with God where we are at and then running to Jesus for deliverance. Psalm 32 and verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall obtain mercy. Continue, confess, and then lastly is conviction. The last thing that a believer, the last way that a believer responds to the light shining on them is faith. How can I stand in the light of the glory of God and not be consumed is because I'm focused on what Jesus Christ has done for me. I can stand in his light. I can experience his glory. I can dwell in his grace not because I'm worthy, not because I'm able, but because Jesus Christ has made it possible for me to stand in the presence of my God. We must believe that God is merciful and forgiving. We must believe that he has the cleansing power and the right to cleanse us. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the substitute and the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And we must believe that he advocates and intercedes on our behalf. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse six, without faith it is impossible to please God.
How do we respond to the light this morning? How do you respond to the light? When God shines his light on you, you know something when, when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I think you're wrong. What's our attitude like? Is there humility there? Is there a confession there? Is there, is there, a, is there a self-denial there? Or, or is there this, well, you're wrong. You see, how we respond to God's light shows so much about who we are. And my challenge to you this morning, my encouragement to you is that first and foremost, if the light has shined on you, if God is shining his light on you, even this morning as I preach this message, if God has opened up your heart to see his light, that you would respond to his light, not by denying the significance and the, and the perfectness of it, not by denying who you are and saying, well, I'm not that bad of a person, but, but by dwelling in the light of the glory of God in humility, in brokenness, confessing, yes, Lord, I'm not worthy to be in this light. Yes, Lord, I'm wrong. Yes, Lord, I'm sinful. I'm a sinner and I'm sinful, both. I'm both. And then running as fast as we can to the, to the, to the, to the, um, to the cross and finding forgiveness, finding grace, finding mercy, finding help. Listen, Jesus Christ is just as capable of saving you today as he has ever been. We must kneel before him. We must humbly accept what he says. We must confess who we are and we must cling to the cross of Jesus. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses of the Bible. Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. If you're one here this morning that has felt the light of Christ in your life and you said, I refuse this light, I pray that God will humble your heart. If you're one here this morning that you've been in the light and you've lived in the light for a while, I thank God for you. And I thank God for allowing us to stand in his presence and not be consumed. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being gracious enough to shine your glorious light into our lives, to expose where we are at, to, to show forth that we are sinners and to show forth that we sin each day. And, and yet, Lord God, to be gracious to us and to point us sufficiently and significantly to your cross and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and what Jesus Christ can accomplish in us. I pray that if there's one person here today that does not know you, that has never felt the, the blessing of standing in your presence and staying, I pray that you would change their heart today for your glory and by your grace in Jesus Christ's name, amen. <laughs>